Welcome to the Conversation of Money podcast. This is the weekly show where we talk about all things money and finance and where we give you information to help you make the best financial decisions possible. So if you want to buy your first home, you want to be better with money, you want to learn how to invest, where to begin, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Peter Komalafe. I'm so thrilled to have you here. So without further ado, let's get going with this week's show. Okay, so welcome guys to another episode of the Conversation of Money podcast. I am so, so excited about today's show. Um, I've been watching this brother now on on Instagram for a number of months. He knows someone that I know who's been on this show. Um, and I'm really, really excited. I'm excited about the energy he's going to bring. Um, I'm excited about this conversation that we're going to have. And um, yeah, man, he's from America. And yeah. dude, welcome Tyrone. His name is Tyrone <laughs> Ross. Welcome. Yeah, no, thank you for having me. This is this is awesome, man. It's really cool. Again, I, I want to make it very clear before we start. I'm a fan of your work. Um, love what you do on Instagram, the education, the, you know, all of the branding and modeling that you're doing is incredible, man. So I'm a big fan as well. So this is this is cool for me. No, I appreciate that, man. Really, I really, really do. So yeah, I, yeah. I met you because Emlyn was on my show. And then Emily was like, yeah, I'm doing some stuff with some some other guys and like they're really, really slick. And I watched, I've watched you quite a few times. One thing that I love about you, I watched you give a I watched you give a speech once. I don't know where it was. I think it might have been like a workshop. And you were really, really passionate about how you were putting like your point across. And it was infectious. Yeah, Yeah, man. It was infectious. And sometimes like when you do workshops, people can just be like, I'm going to rock up to this workshop and it's just going to be like, eh, you know, just normal chit chat. Yeah. But the energy you were giving in that conversation, it resonated with me. It really, really did. Appreciate that. I appreciate it. Yeah, that was, um, it's hard to believe that was this year. It feels like 10 years ago. Uh-huh. But um, it was at uh, Inside ETFs here, um, which is a, uh, the largest ETF conference in the world, actually, um, down in Florida. And, yeah, man, it was one of the things going down there. And, and even, you know, I don't know, you know, much about how it, how it works in the UK, but here in the States, we go to, we travel around, we go to these conferences, and pat each other on the back, and everybody got on thousand dollar suits. And <laughs> two miles away, it's kids in poverty. I'm like, what yeah. are we doing? Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I'm going to stop coming to your conference if you don't start doing something about this. Uh-huh. And one of the things that at that conference, we had raised money for a foster program for kids down there. Cause literally where we were, I think it was like, I don't know, you drive four or five miles, 20% of the kids there were living in poverty, 20%. Yeah. Yeah. And we stay in this nice fancy hotel. And yeah. so by the time I got on stage, I was just like, I'm gonna let y'all have it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then that's where I come from. You know what I mean? So when when you you know it's a it's a juxtaposition being you know a black man in this business and also coming from poverty i don't have the the wall street pedigree mm-hmm. you know and then being now being in it you know you you got to walk that fine line and at first i didn't know how so now i'm like you know what now i'm connected to all the money and the power and access and the reach and i know exactly where the money should go now mm-hmm. i'm gonna just point y'all to it Right. Yeah. And if you don't do it now, it's just clear you don't want to because it's clear yeah. that you got to conduit. It's me. So, you know, let's let's start to fix it. So that's that's really good. But thank you for watching that. Everything you said just resonates with me because I used to work in Canary Wall, which Canary Wall would be kind of be like the Wall Street in America. Okay. The comparison, exactly the same thing. Mm-hmm. Right. So opulent, 
beautiful surroundings, high-rise buildings, beautiful offices, expensive shopping malls. Like we are buying thousand pound suits, like twenty-five thousand mm-hmm. pound watches on lunches, right? Mm-hmm. Canary Wharf, and you literally go two stops on the tube, and again, it's exactly what you're saying: deprived area, yeah. poverty, and kids yep. looking at Canary Wharf, thinking, "I'm never going to get there." Like it's, I can see it like literally right there, but I'm never going to get there because it's a different class of people that, that go there. And mm-hmm. my background is very similar to yours. My parents are Nigerian. I was fostered from three months to seven years old. I went to Nigeria wow. for 10 years, came back with, in, well, I came back in se- at age 17, I've just about turned 18 with 50 pounds in my pocket. I've been homeless twice. So to find myself in an environment where, I mean, Canary Wharf, which was for me when I started in financial services, the panacea. Like, yep. if I make it here, I've made it to finally get there and look back at my journey. I'm just like, whoa. And this is kind of driving what I'm doing right now in terms of the financial education, because everybody from my background, if I didn't know what I know from working in the industry, I wouldn't be able to align my finances in the way that I have or know how yep. to invest in the way that I have. And yep. for many people in my background and your background, it's like, well, this stuff is a secret. This stuff isn't made available to us. This stuff is for the mm-hmm. wealthy people. And it's like, mm-hmm. no, the information is out there. They're just not sharing it. Yeah. And that's why yep. I do what I do. Um, yep. I guess that's kind of, that kind of drives you. Cause I do want to talk yep. a little bit about your story because your story is very, very similar, I guess, to mine in some ways. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's why I do what I do. And that's what I'm saying. The passion is different. The, the, the power which you speak, the conviction, the emotion, because mm-hmm. you've gone through that brokenness and you know mm-hmm. the frustrations of being shut out of a system that wasn't built for you. I say this all the time. and It's probably true across the world, but there's one thing you don't ever want to be in the United States of America, and that's poor. I feel like we treat our poor worse than anybody else. And again, I don't have validation of that, but you do not want to be poor in this country. The last thing you want to be. But yeah, man, it's it's a similar story. I mean, my dad came to America from Guyana, uh, South America. So my dad's Guyanese. Um, met my mother. You know, my dad came to this country with middle school education. Couldn't read and write. Met my mother was 17. Uh, with a nine-month-old, and, you know, they kind of put it together from there. I came along six years later, and again, I mean, wasn't necessarily homeless. We had always bounced from place to place, a lot of evictions, a lot of, you know, I I tell people all the time, I don't have one childhood home. Like, I grew up all these different places, and yeah, a few few stints in hotels here and there, but never truly homeless, but, but you know, been no in, Places, yeah, you know, yeah. been in places, no lights, no gas, cars being repoed. You know, um, at one point I remember, you know, um, actually having to go to the bathroom, like literally defecating bags, plastic mm-hmm. bags, and having to walk them out. You know, like there's no running water. You know, yeah. all these, all of these things. So that's PTSD, man. That scars you. When now, finally, I'm 26 years old. And I find out what the stock market is. And I'm like, hmm. what is all of this, right? I walked right by the New York Stock Exchange, didn't know what it was. And I realized, I'm like, it's a, my mindset has to change. Like, they're thinking and doing things based on, I don't even, so I have this scarcity mindset, and I have an abundance, and they have an abundance mindset. 
And that's one of the things, like when I onboard a new client, I ask two questions. Everybody gets the same two questions is, what is your first memory of money? Hmm. Is it scarcity like mine or is it your grandfather walking you down to the bank and opening an account or talking about stocks or maybe it's starting a business, watching your parents run a business, doing, you know, your parent was a CPA, maybe they're doing accounting. And so that's the first thing. And the second question I is, well, what is it, I ask is, what is your relationship with money now? Like when it comes up, what do you think about? Is it, oh man, I got an extra 50 bucks to put some in Bitcoin or, you know, I need to get my LLC so I can do whatever. Or is it, you know, I want to buy a home and, you know, because I'm starting a family and I got to look, look at retirement accounts. And so when those things, when money comes up, what immediately is the conversation for you? And now I already get a feel for what it is that the client has built, right? Their, their relationship around money. And my clients are younger. So I do catch them in that, let's just call it late twenties to 40 years old. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they're still coming into their own financially, but you're bringing a lot of the habits of when you were a child and the same mm-hmm. thing happened to me, but, but yeah, man, that was it. I mean, first one to finish high school. Um, and then went on to college and, you know, got kicked out of college because I was ill-prepared with the, uh, the Georgia Institute of Technology here, uh, which is in Atlanta, Georgia. I got a full scholarship to run track and lost it because I'd never been away from home. And again, it, it, for no other reason than I just wanted to party, right? Mm-hmm. Never drank, yep. never smoked, but I was like, there's a party, I'm going to find it. Yeah. Um, and I didn't go to class and got kicked out, came back to New Jersey, uh, finished up at Seton Hall University, which is here in New Jersey. It's a Catholic university in, in uh, South Orange, New Jersey. And again, like I said, I, I started taking graduate courses and I had a professor who mentioned Wall Street. And I'm like, what the hell is Wall Street? <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But yeah, yeah, 26, 25 years old. And, and that's what I tell people. is like, that's ridiculous. Like, that, that just shouldn't be a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So what what's crazy is, and I, and I tell people this, is like, okay, yeah, the, I'm very proud of being the first high school graduate in my, country, in my, in my family. That really means a lot to me. Because now my niece is the second. And now she's mm-hmm. the second to graduate, you know, um, from college. So somebody had to be the first. Might as well yep. be me. But when I did get a job and I started, you know, on Wall Street, like I had never taken a business class, an accounting class, like nothing. Like I literally had no idea of anything about money, anything like that. And it's only because I was given a shot, right? And, and Lisa Craddock, who I love to this day, without her, a white woman was like, you know, I, I know you're completely clueless, but I'm gonna give you a shot, right? Mm-hmm. There's something about you where I feel like you're gonna do well. And that's the thing, it's like, now with everyone talking about adding, you know, income inequality and access for, for black people and banking and business and all that other stuff. It's like, again, as you mentioned, you just need to be exposed, but then I need to be empowered. You gotta yeah. put me in a position to actually see what it is that I can do. But we don't do that enough. And the fact that she did that, here I am, this is this would be year 15 for me. 15 wow. years later, here I am, simply because she was like, all right, you're a probation officer, right? <laughs> How is that going to help you on Wall Street, right? So it's just an incredible thing, man. But and, and, it's, and it's been a journey. Like I said, that whole journey, now I'm sitting here talking to you. It's pretty cool. That's amazing, man. So what was your first job on Wall Street? I was an investor relations associate, so junior associate, um, to be clear. Um, so it was a company called Financial Dynamics. It was 
2006. So I was there until I was, it was during the crisis. So we, the crazy thing was we were right next door to AIG. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it was always the circus during the <laughs> crisis. <laughs> Every day was a circus. But what was interesting about that, and again, IR, for those who know, is investor relations. So investor relations is simply public relations with numbers. Mm-hmm. So press releases, setting up conference calls, a lot of different things like that. But what was cool about it was the financial dynamics was eventually bought out by a company called FTI Consulting, which is okay. outside of the big four, Deloitte, mm-hmm. you know, all of that. And they had this special project that they needed me to work on. And at the time, again, I'm, I'm still learning. I don't know. And I had to come in. All I remember is that I had to come in the office really early. I had to be in the office like 6, 6.30 in the morning. And I'm pulling all of this, these articles on what I know now to be subprime mortgages in the subprime uh-huh. market. Uh-huh. I have no idea. But I'm like, all right, I'm pulling all this data. But what they were doing was just, you know, getting all this data, articles or whatever on a subprime market. And when the market actually collapsed, and they do a lot of forensic accounting there. They cleaned up because they had all of that data and information. Mm-hmm. So kudos to them. They were super brilliant kind of ahead. This was like 07. Yeah, so yeah, they yeah, saw yeah, yeah. it coming. Um, and then once it actually happened, they were able to go back and they eventually bought Financial Dynamics. And then they did, you know, they did really well for themselves. Um, you know, after coming out of the crisis and helping companies, you know, with that and just showing that they had been ahead of the curve. But yeah. The only bad thing about it is if I was smart, I would have bought FTI stock and I yeah. did <laughs> And I didn't. Again, didn't know any better. But man, if I would have bought something, that would have been the smart thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So from there, you're now like what well, we call the financial planner. I don't know what the term is over there with you, with you guys, but you you basically advise clients on, you know, investments, that kind of stuff, building for the future and everything. How did yeah. you go from, from that role on Wall Street to where you are right now? Wow, very securitist route. So I left there in 09, and I'm not sure how it works there. So at the time, um, I had a mentor who was like, you'd be great on the retail side. So I'm mm-hmm. like, now what is the retail side? Mm-hmm. So he's like, this is the institutional side, retail. He's like, working with individuals. I'm like, oh, all right, that sounds cool. So well, I'm like, well, what do I need to do? And he was like, you got to get a firm sponsor. You got to get your Series 7. So I'm like, what is this? So Series 7 exam, um, I, I went to a brokerage firm. I don't know if you see like the Wolf of Wall Street. It was like yeah, yeah. that. Like I went yeah. to a little brokerage firm, got my 7 and my 63, and, and just learned to pitch stock all day, every day. Like six, $700 a day, mm-hmm. calling, pitching stock, pitching stock. So I, I was there, left there. Um, well, when I was there, I keep hearing this thing about a wirehouse, right? Mm-hmm. And Merrill Lynch and the gold. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what is... So now, again, I'm learning all the way here. So I finally end up at Morgan Stanley, right? Did a short stint at Morgan Stanley, like late 2011, 2012. Um, and then ended up at Merrill Lynch. So, and then I was at Merrill Lynch for five years. I left Merrill in 2017. Wow. So it wasn't until I got to Merrill in 2012 where I actually learned with a financial advisor right in financial planning was, I had no clue. Mm-hmm. But my mentor there, he has a 10 member team. I only do a couple, a couple billion in assets, but the financial, the financial planning they did, I, I haven't seen the likes of since. It is incredible, okay. the planning that they do. 
Um, and he's not actually a CFP, a certified financial planner here, mm-hmm. um, but he has, I think, three on his team. Um, but their planning is super robust. And that's when I learned everything about financial planning, mm. um, you know, how to construct one, how to actually, you know, present one, the whole deal. And it was, I mean, they would give you this book <laughs> when yeah. they were done, but we were incredible what they did. Um, and I know we'll get to this, but in 2015, 2016, I got introduced to Bitcoin and, you know, was really interested in the startup space. So that's kind of where, why I ended up where I am now. The seeds were planted then, but mm-hmm. so yeah, that was, that was it. I went from pitching stock and doing all of that to get into a wirehouse. I was a trainee program at Merrill was out of the, you know, made it out of the training program and then was there for two years after that. Um, I left there in 2017 and then again, not, you know, too similar how it is there, but I'm an independent advisor now. So mm-hmm. I, I'm in, yeah. So my 66 designation makes me an IAR, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then you have to be an IAR of an RIA. These, these terms are hilarious. <laughs> but, uh, We've got similar ones here. Yeah, it's like, and it's like, and that's why people fail the exams here because they can't figure out the difference between a registered investment advisor mm-hmm. and investment advisor representative. And it's mm-hmm. like, what are we doing? But it's like made the confusion. So yeah, with my 66 designation, it makes me an independent advisor again, which you have to be, you know, um, uh, uh, an advisor, essentially a registered investment advisor um, here in the here in the states. Um, so been that way since for the last three years. But the the actual financial advisor part, where I truly started to learn about being an advisor and financial planning, was was in 2012. So everything again that I've learned about money, period. Right. So you got to look at. I, yeah. I'm 40 years old. I learned about the stock market at 26. Everything yeah. I've learned about money, I've learned the last 14 years, and I've yeah. learned it on Wall Street. Yeah. So so the planning yeah. piece and, and understanding the true value of planning has been the last eight years. Yeah. Man, there's so many similarities. We're the same age, been in the industry for the same amount of time. My journey is very, very similar to yours in the fact that I started off in a bank as a cashier. And again, it was a lady, Jenny Berry. I remember her till today. I owe her everything because if she, I was so disinterested in in getting this job because back (laughs) then, right, it was like, if you work for a bank, it's prestigious. It's one of like, you want to work for a bank. It's when, you know, you wanted to have a banking career. And I didn't think I was going to get the job because I was so poor with money. I was bouncing checks. I had overdrafts. I had, it was just terrible. My credit score was just killed. And I went to this interview wearing jeans and a leather jacket. And she (laughs) still gave me the job. I couldn't believe it. And I was like, okay, well, you're going to offer it to me, but my credit's really poor. So by the time you do all the scoring, you're not going to give me the job. But she did. And I started. And um, yeah, everything that I've learned is from literally 15 years working in retail, corporate, and then then wealth management. And I qualified as a financial advisor four or five years ago, basically. So it's weird to me. The synergies are kind of like very, very similar. Um, I always, my favorite film in the world is uh, Pursuit of Happiness. That's my favorite film. That's my favorite film. And um, when I look at, when I watch that film, I can always pick out moments where I can relate to in my journey as well. And listening to you speak, it's like, you know, Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, big, 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 big firms. Now to transition where you are, it's pretty amazing. 
Yeah, man, it's 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 funny that I I have a special place in my heart for that movie as well, right? Especially, you know, the part where he's like, "I'm not gonna go to the bathroom. I'm gonna call. I'm gonna make some amount of dials uh-huh. and that whole thing." So, yeah, very familiar with that journey. And again, it's I've been talking about it a lot lately because again, a lot of people, um, you know, again, all, all, what's going on in the world? People are asking me to speak about how I got here and when you don't have that traditional pedigree, man, like, and again, you know, you didn't go to Harvard or Yale or Oxford or, you know, you don't have the fancy degrees and you didn't come from privilege and mm-hmm. you don't make it on Wall Street. You don't make it in finance. Like, mm-hmm. that's just it. It's the truth because it's it's geared to people who have been groomed, right? Groomed with education, groomed mm-hmm. with network, groomed with access, right? And, and knowledge to be able to act upon that, right? Empowerment. Mm-hmm. To, to take risks, to be decision makers, to be in positions of power. We just don't get that. Yeah. So it's just, it, you know, I, I look back at it and, you know, from having these conversations now and I'm like, because people are oh, your, your story. And I'm, I'm like, well, I just kind of lived it. So to me, it's whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm gaining an appreciation for it now because I sit across from men, black men or just people in general that have fancy degrees and can't really like, I'm out. Like, it's just too difficult. I'm out. I can't, you know. But you realize that, as you mentioned, you need to be given a shot, right? You have to to work hard. But also, there's a little serendipity and luck in there that that goes into it. But you you have to have the right network of people that are going to continue to open the door for you. And I've had that. But... Yeah, I mean, and and as you were saying, you you alluded to a little bit. It's like for me and my family, I realize it's like if I don't get us out, and it's what I told people, I don't live the life that my parents live or my niece live, or my sister. It's totally different. Mm-hmm. I'm not out until they're all out, right? Until we're all out, mm-hmm. we're not, right? Until I change the trajectory of my family for good, and I can look back across generations and say, nobody like my nephews already at one and two years old my great nephews are probably set up better financially than most adults yeah and and then i was at 26 because of me right Mm -hmm. so this has been happening for other families for (laughs) generations yeah yeah for generations so for me it's important that when i look back now that all right this decision this business deal this this you know this account, this business that I sold or, or, or money that I invested pulled us all out. And just because I don't mean that my family is, right? And that, yeah. that takes a lot of, of generational wealth to pull whole families out yeah. of that. And my immediate family is small, but, you know, my extended family is ginormous. My dad's one of 27. My mother's wow. one of 12. Wow. Yeah. So my, my extended family is ginormous. Um, and I ain't trying to save all of them. But <laughs> I was going to say, that's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, no, no, absolutely. I don't, I don't even know if Rockefeller wanted to do that. But, you know, I, but my immediate family, I just, you know, I feel it when, when none of them have to worry about money anymore. It's like, okay, we're good. But until then, there's more work to be done. And when you come from the bottom and you get it out the mud, it's really important to realize that, yeah, what good is me? Like some of these rappers, you flossing and doing it, and your mother's still mm. in the projects. What are you yeah. doing? You know what I mean? So yeah. once everybody's out, then I can say, all right, we've made it. But until then, there's still a lot of work to do. Cool. You mentioned something that I really want to ask you about because, again, we agree on this. And it's amazing because this is the first time we're really speaking, right? Yeah. 
you mentioned that you most of your clients are between late 20s and 40s yes. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, for me, that age group is the reason why I started doing this stuff because I don't know how it is in the in the states. It might be very, very similar. All of the investment houses, all of the um, advisory firms, everybody that does wealth management in the UK is purely interested with the guys who have already accumulated wealth, which are the baby boomers, forty-five, mm-hmm. fifty, sixty. They have mm-hmm. no care, no concern, no mm-hmm. desire to engage mm-hmm. with the people who are between the ages of 25 and say 40, 44, none mm-hmm. whatsoever. That's the reason mm-hmm. why I do all the financial literacy stuff, because I believe that age group of people are the ones who are earning more money than ever. Like you've yep. got 26, 27 year olds now earning some serious cash, cash that I wish that I was earning at that point in time. They're building businesses. They're yep. building businesses. They are mm-hmm. entrepreneurially very, very um, astute and they yep. know what they want for the future. They're purely aware of cryptocurrencies, which will come on to you shortly, property, yeah. investing. Mm-hmm. They know about that, but they're just left to their own devices, like just go Google it. Go figure it out yourself because mm-hmm. these institutions are not interested. Was well, there a particular mm-hmm. reason why you chose to service between that age group that you've 20, late 20s to 40? Yeah, exactly. Exactly for the same reasons that you mentioned is when I was at Merrill, I realized that, all right, it's all about baby boomers, right? Uh-huh. 55, 60, 65. I'm like, there's, and there would, you would see the kids in the meetings bored to tears <laughs> and they, they weren't even addressing the kids. And I'm like, there's an opportunity here. And I just found it more exciting, right? And, and I found it, you know, and, and there's a particular way and, and what people don't realize is institutionalized. There's uh-huh. a particular way that they reach those people. So if you go outside of that, I was no social media. I'm like, what do you mean? Mm. Like, there's no, but they don't want you on social media because 60 year olds, 65 year olds ain't on social media. They're in the office, right? Call yeah. them there, go meet them there. Yeah. So, beginning in social media, having an interest in fintech, eventually in crypto, that's where all the younger clients were. So, I started to build a younger client base. And, like, and like you, I saw the need. And then I saw myself because I'm like, they're my age. They're going through mm-hmm. the same thing that I'm going through and have some of the same lack of awareness that I do. And then you look at it here in the U.S., baby boomers just, um, millennials just eclipse baby boomers as the largest group in okay. this country. And there's roughly $30 trillion that has to transfer over the next three decades. And when you look at that, it's yeah. like, what are you, yes, what are y'all yeah. doing? You're not even... This is the thing that I don't understand. It's like in the UK, the number is much smaller. It's like 1.3, 1.4 trillion. But it's like, you guys are missing the big point. Your baby boomers who you're looking after right now, you're protecting these guys, you're looking after them. When they go, they're going to pass down to their children who are all likely to be millennials. And you don't understand that they face a different kind of challenge. They're facing the real prospect that you know ai is going to take over their jobs the age for owner home ownership is getting much much larger they're dealing with you know real issues compressed reduced you know income and you expect because you looked after the mom and dad that they're going to trust you with their money when they have completely different outlooks completely different interests and frankly you weren't there to help educate or inspire them to build wealth or even help them on their financial journey in the first place, because you've been looking after yep. mom and dad, and that's where your focus has been. And I think it's a huge, it's a huge missed opportunity, certainly here in the UK, that 
I think a lot of these big firms, investment houses, advisory firms are going to come back and think, mm, we should have done something a little bit earlier. Yeah, which is why Revolut is killing it. Right? Yeah. Like, yeah. That's, why, that's why Revolut is so powerful. That's why Robinhood is so powerful. That's why, you know, I can keep going, right? All of these different, you know, Novo banks and, and mm -hmm. startups are, are geared toward betterment, Wealthfront, the list is endless, um, Pigsby, right? All these different things, they're geared towards that younger market because they seize, they realize the opportunity there and they're trying to seize it. It's the mm -hmm. same thing from a financial education, financial literacy standpoint. Oh, by the way, the financial media content is horrendous. Mm -hmm. It's not even palatable to be mm -hmm. able to watch it, right? So I'm kind of working in that range too. It's like, we need to change how they look at financial media. I'm the only idiot in America that believes that people could, I can get people to run to TV to hear about finance. Mm -hmm. Like they're like, oh my God, let's see what he's talking about today. But I believe that's possible, but you have to make it fun. You have to make the jargon free, mm -hmm. right? You have to make it short. You gotta make it like a that VH1 MTV type mm -hmm. of feel. Mm -hmm. And again, give people an action step that they can actually take action on themselves, yeah. Yeah. right? They don't need you. So I think if we do that now, you're starting to engage on TikTok and all these other places now where, again, they just spent $250 million, so they see the opportunity, mm -hmm. right? Where all these platforms, a Snapchat, a TikTok, and IG, again, what you're doing is super powerful. Emlyn and I are on Twitter, where there's a big financial following on Twitter. They call it FinTwit, where there's a lot of ideas sharing, and there's a whole community there but advisors are missing the opportunity on Instagram, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And, and what it means to reach a younger, literally missing it, like yep. completely with, yep. gone, yep. right? Here in the States anyway, but it, it seems so it's there. It's definitely so the same when I saw what, Yeah, when I saw what you were doing, I'm like, it's brilliant. He's having conversations. He looks like them. He's no jargon. He's answering questions. Like, that's how you do it. And if you wait, on financial services here and i think just period it's they're not gonna get there and, yeah. and they're gonna miss the whole opportunity and there are so many financial advisors yeah. that are gonna get fired they're yeah. gonna get fired yeah i think you mentioned something really important there and the fact that i i'm like you i do believe that you can count you can get people excited about talking about money right yeah but it's the way you do it that matters. It's the way that you, that you do it that counts. Throwing yep. terms at them isn't going to work. Nope. Throwing just pointless information at them is not going to work. What I, what I try to do is I try to talk about the emotional side to money. Like, mm -hmm. dude, what do you want? What do yeah. you want? What do you want? Like, let's, let's think bigger picture for a second. What do you want? Okay, it's that. Why is that important? Let's get the reasoning behind it. Let's really get the yeah. emotive stuff behind it. Why? Okay. So what do you need? You need money. So you're earning money right now. If that's five years off, you need to be putting your money to good work to help you get there, not just spending it on Louis Vuitton and Gucci and, and stuff, yeah. wasting money, putting money in another person's pocket. You need to use mm -hmm. your money as a tool. And that's my thing. Money is a tool to build for the future. And I think as long as you do that, people realize that, you're not about selling them something. You're actually genuinely there to help them on their journey. And that's, I guess, what people are looking for. They're just looking for information that is relevant to what they want to achieve in life. Once, you, once you're able to do that, they take on board that information even more because there is no resistance because you're not selling them anything. You're trying to get them to realize, like, dude, if you want this, 
you're earning money, yep. money will help you get there. But you need to make yep. sure that you're funneling that money in order to help you achieve that goal. Because if you do nothing, you're not going to get it. Right. Two things that you mentioned. One, the messenger matters, right? They trust you. If anything in the, you know in this business is that if people don't trust you, forget it. But the minute they do trust you, the next thing that you say, they're listening. Mm -hmm. So trust matters. The other thing that you mentioned, right, and you didn't say it, but you, you, you mentioned it is personalized. Mm -hmm. I need advice that is timely to me where mm -hmm. I am. I could be a surgeon and, you know, financially literate. I could be a, a, a tractor truck driver and, you know, and be you know, financially literate. I could be a student. So I need it where I am. Mm -hmm. And I, it, it should, again, it should be a, a, a medium that I'm familiar with, that I like going to, where all of the information that you're giving me, I know is for me. Mm -hmm. And I end on this note, this is the most powerful thing that I've learned when I, when I started to learn about money. And I was taught a lot of different things from some very successful men about money. My mentor says this, he goes, you spend the first half of your life spending your time for money. In that phase, you got to learn to turn your money into assets so mm -hmm. that now when you want to switch and use your money to buy your time back, you can in the second half of your life. And I immediately got it. And he was like, you know, the income that W, he said, you're never going to get rich off your W-2, mm -hmm. all right? And, and, and your, your income that you make, you have to work while you're spending all of your time to make money, turn that money into capital assets, into mm -hmm. holdings, so that now later in your life, those holdings are allowing you to buy your time back, right? A, 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 you know, a financial advisor, an accountant, mm -hmm. housekeeper, you know, daycare. And I'm like, Oh, mm -hmm. right? like, okay. And, and I share that with people all the time and they get it. Right. So, but you never get that framework. It's not taught in schools. My parents couldn't teach me that. It, it, yeah. it was, it was, it wasn't about that. It was like survival. Yeah. Just need yeah. To survive. Yeah. And which is why I tell people the greatest financial planner I've ever known is Carol Ross, my mother, right? Like my mother, would, would she could stretch $20 till it's string, <laughs> right? So, you know, that, that is, that's, that's still financial planning, you know, right? She may not be doing backdoor Roth contributions and, uh -huh. you know, uh, rebalancing every six months, but it was, this is how we financial plan for survival. Mm -hmm. So we have to be very clear on how we look at that. But for me, that's what it's, what y'all is like time for money and then money for time. Absolutely. So let's talk a little bit about, um, crypto because yeah i get people who ask me about this all the time and maybe even to my own fault i don't really understand crypto that much i know bitcoin and, and i hold a little bit of tezo and, and things like that yep. it's going to be the way forward certainly here in the uk there is still yep. this huge regulatory barrier because guess what yep. it is un unregulated and it's meant mm -hmm. to be mm -hmm. so where do you feel you know Crypto fits within that wealth creation picture as a whole for the for the young generation, for millennials now. So I am uber bullish on crypto. My whole practice is crypto. I really don't do much in the traditional world anymore. So anybody that follows me on Twitter or social media, I am all in on crypto. I'm mostly all in on crypto, what it's going to mean for folks to grow up like us, the unbanked, mm -hmm. um, and how it's going to provide access to a new financial system. Um, how decentralized finance is being built on the Ethereum blockchain, mm -hmm. I'm super excited about. So as far as Bitcoin goes, right, the, 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 the oldest has the biggest brand, mm -hmm. right? 
basic things you can understand that there's a limited supply, mm-hmm. right? Um, you know, every four years that supply is cut in half, things like that. People could kind of get that part, comparing it to gold. Mm-hmm. Here's where it gets interesting. Demographics, as, we, as we've already discussed. If, and here's, by the way, the oldest millennials now are 38, 39 years mm-hmm. old, right? The youngest are mid-20s. Yep. So when you look at that demographic, they've grown up with this stuff on their phone. Mm-hmm. It's anti-establishment. It is, to them, speculative. It's, it's wealth, cre- wealth creation in the sense that, oh, well, here is something that went up 100 times. Mm-hmm. Again, whether that's the right way to look at it or not. But again, let's just go back to 2017 when it went parabolic. If you were, you know, you grew up with an iPhone and, and, and Coinbase is around and you're 22, 23, or you're a teenager, you experience that. Now you're yeah. like, well, what is this, right? It's yeah. become a part of our everyday conversation. It's making it into songs. It's part of our, our public and, and daily lives. But what it, what it simply is, again, here in the U.S., the government deems it property, Right. Um, for tax purposes, there's mm-hmm. no wash sale rule, so you can mm-hmm. trade it as much as you want, right? But mm-hmm. it, it's simply speculative right now. The way I look at it as personally, and my clients do, is a long dated call option on as a store of value. Okay, so yep. Yep. it has some of those properties now, but it's a conversation around here is an ability to take a little bit of your money. Some is a lot. Try and get them to get away from that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But and and opt out of a financial system that has been taken away from you, right? Highly levered because of mm-hmm. what your what your parents did yeah. and, and those that are empowered now. Here's a way to opt out. And they're intrigued by that. And then, oh, by the way, yeah, it's highly volatile. But I tell people all the time, that doesn't bother younger clients, right? Yeah. It's your 70-year-old that is used to that steady returns and clipping mm-hmm. their coupon and all that when mm-hmm. something goes like, you know, up and down, they don't want that as they shouldn't, right? Nor should a 60 year old or a 50 year old. But if I'm 25, 35, life is volatile, right? Mm-hmm. So this is like, eh, you know, and I think it's setting expectations when, you know, March 12th, right, of this year um, was when the crypto markets went down 50%. Mm-hmm. I didn't get a call, a text message, anything, because my clients, they get it. They understand that's par for the course. But again, with the explanation being the Long small term, term. Yeah, it's a yeah. call option, late, yeah. late call option. It will develop. It's still very young, right? Bitcoin is 11 years old, right? So it's still very young. There's still a lot that needs to be figured out infrastructure-wise. This is the first time it's experiencing this type of macro environment, right? Recessionary. Mm-hmm right? Global, you know, upheaval, yeah. you know, macro uncertainty. So it's being, te- you know, up 20% or so. So it's doing well in this environment, doing what it's supposed to do. Um, if you look at the on-chain, right, the Bitcoin on-chain analytics, the hash rate, which is essentially security has been strong, right? Um, the, the amount of people that are opening accounts, smaller accounts is growing, and the price has been essentially stable. It hasn't really moved much. Mm-hmm. So when you start to look at those things, that's what you want to see in a store of value. And I end on this note. When you look at a Revolut or a Cash App or Robinhood that is making this available, what you're seeing is this. 
it is becoming a savings mechanism as well, mm-hmm. where folks are literally saying, I'm going to s- set recurring buys, $100 every paycheck, and I'm going to put it into Bitcoin. Like, yeah. this is an actual thing that is yeah, happening. Yeah. So it's I've literally got followers creating do that. good, yeah, it's creating good that, yeah. savings habits. So, and then, you know, with that, as you start to educate people, it's hard to educate them on Bitcoin and not go into economics and science and history and mm-hmm. all these other, other things. So for me, it's just been a wonderful learning tool. Again, there's that savings mechanism to it. And then as once you become a seasoned investor, you start to look at some, you know, listen, Paul Tudor Jones, if you, if you, if you can't understand why Paul Tudor Jones does something as an investor, then you probably shouldn't be investing. Yeah. He's been <laughs> constructive around it. Right. And there's still, again, there's still some other big investors that, need to get on board but the fact that they're even looking at it lets you know it's not going anywhere yeah build a constructive thesis around it which i do with my clients and they usually have their own mm-hmm. how does that fit inside your goals as you mentioned where does this play into your goals yeah right and then once we have that conversation then it's, it's like all right where did you buy it how much do you own what are we going to do to secure it say you know and, and make sure that it's safe and then, you know, if, if things start to, you know, start to rebalance or the price changes, buying more and things like that. So, but I'm overall, I've never been more bullish, super excited about what it means going forward. Um, and I definitely think as we start to, the world starts to change, it is going to start to find its way. Bitcoin can't be defined. That's what's beautiful about it. Mm-hmm. You, you can't. You see it from the lens that you're, you know what I mean, that you're looking from. Um, but once you see it, you can't unsee it, right? It's like, it's yeah. just one of those things that's out there. And it, you, it just, it draws you in. And I think as the world starts to change here, the money printing, the change in, you know, the change in leadership, the more progressive we become, but more if people want to opt out of the legacy banking, legacy political yeah. system, yeah. all of these things, it kind of came along at the right time, right? Invented at the right time, proven in the right time, right? Invented, yeah. right, the, the financial crisis, but now it's going to be proven in this day and time where there's so much upheaval um, and uncertainty. But when you have something, it's a clock. Nothing yeah. changes it. It yeah. happens the same thing every day. And when you have that, right, and it's just every 10 minutes, every 10 minutes, every 10 minutes, right, roughly every four years, the supply, like, it's just math. It's going to, no matter what the world is doing, Bitcoin is going to be big. Yeah. So are there any, are there any particular uh, cryptos that you think um, are worth people looking at right now? To be honest, no. Um, I think it's Bitcoin and Ether after that. There's really nothing worth paying attention to at the moment. Um, Bitcoin again because it's been around the longest, and, and there's a, there's a lot there. I think that's the that's the blue chip, so to speak, in the space. Yeah. E- Ether because when you look at what's being built on the Ethereum blockchain, it is mind-boggling. Especially if you are in financial services, I tell financial advisors all the time, you are ignoring that. You are ignoring the future of our business. Mm. Smart contracts. Imagine estate planning with smart contracts. Mm. Right. Um, imagine the ability to, you know, th- there's been explosive growth in stable coins and, and, and essentially crypto dollars. Right. Yeah. 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 Juxtapose that with the drop in remittances since the pandemic. 
right? So if all these people that do remittances and send money back to their countries were aware of the power of stable coins, mm -hmm. and oh, by the way, if you are a money manager, financial advisor, or whatever, and your clients own crypto, to be able to move, you know, to have the rebalance their Bitcoin or whatever it is they own, they own and have that go into Paxos or USDC, some type mm -hmm. of dollar that's going to be stable until they want to get back in the market. Like these yeah. are really powerful things here. Now, again, if you, you know, you, you mentioned Tezos and a few other things, like there are some things out there again, if you, and this is what I tell clients and I tell people, you can really, really understand a project. You can read the white paper and understand it. If you can truly understand who they're competing with and where that value is going to be created. Sure. I'm not upset at that. Right. But for me, it's it's Bitcoin, 100%. It's Ether. And again, there's some other things out there that I, I know of and that makes some sense. But right now, just for beginners, you kind of stay in that, you know, that circle of competence of just trying to figure out what Absolutely. those two. Because by the way, all these other coins are derivatives of the block, Bitcoin blockchain anyway, right? Yeah. So yeah, they yeah. Ether, you know, just where Ether comes from. And in Ether, you got all your, you know... Um, ERC20 blockchains and coins that come from, you know, the, the Ethereum blockchain. Yeah. So that's really it. I just try and get people to understand that, right? Ether is the actual coin. Ethereum is the blockchain. Bitcoin little b is the actual token. Bitcoin mm -hmm. big B spelled is the actual blockchain, mm -hmm. right? So there's so many people that bothers me. They keep saying, you know, it's like ether is the coin. Ethereum is the blockchain. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah. you know, just getting people to understand the basics like that. And, and then if they graduate, they want to talk about Binance or Tezos or, you know, MakerDAO uh -huh. or whatever, Polychain. All right, fine. Let's talk yeah. about it. But right off the bat, you know, it, it sticks. You know, I, I, would, I would encourage people just to read about Bitcoin. Cool. Now, that leads me on to... Another topic which, ah, oh man, I see this all the time on IG and it, it drives me crazy, right? Oh. People promising the world when it comes to like, oh, you should do this and you should do that and it's going to give you X amount of return. It, it almost feels as though on IG, it's so much more bold and brazen than anywhere else. And yeah. it's, it's exacerbated so much that these are just really bold claims. And unfortunately, people do buy them. And I spend a lot of time, certainly last year, I spent a lot of time almost finding them just to debunk them. But do you find that your guys come across all these financial scams and all this stuff on, on IG all of the time? I, it, I posted something on my story yesterday uh, about, you know, that there are real certified financial planners out here and folks like yourself giving high quality advice. But then you have these personal finance experts mm -hmm. who are making guarantees and by the way people if someone guarantees you something be very afraid Red there's flags. no guarantees in our business no mm -hmm. certified licensed individual will ever make a guarantee so one thing is drilled to us from, from day one right and also not only guarantee but can can show you exactly what your returns are going to be mm -hmm. for the next whatever that that's how you know it's a, it's a scam and then also it's like just ask them I know here we have broker check in the US, right? Any good advisor say, look me up on broker check. You put yeah, that yeah. person's name in, yeah. your license comes up, all of that. So yeah. now again, do you have to be a licensed professional to give financial advice? I think so, but you don't, right? Truly, you can study and read whatever, but it's like, well, if I told you that I do dentistry, 
<laughs> and just come by my house and I'm a, you know, I'm going to pull a couple teeth. It's okay. I, I read some books and listen, I've read all the books on dentistry and my next door neighbor was, uh, and my dad was a dentist. Just come by. I, yeah. I'll definitely do your root canal. You'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's like, it's the same, it's the same thing with money, right? It's yeah. like, you know, so if your pilot did that, right. Ah, we're good. <laughs> I, don't, I don't have a license, but Trust me, I'm gonna get you to the U.S. with yeah. no issues. I read a couple books, you know, a couple posts, I watched some YouTube videos. Yeah, I can man. fly this thing. I completely so, agree. I do yeah. because you know what? There are so many accounts on um on IG, and like, I do speak to a lot of them. I I know a lot of them. I interact with a lot of them. But it's like I'm okay. I'm okay with people doing like spreading financial education and all that kind of stuff. But when they mm -hmm. start talking about investments, yes. And if that's when yeah. I have a little bit of an issue because it's like, yeah. dude, you're an accountant. Mm -hmm. That's not your job. I wouldn't go and start giving people advice on bookkeeping. Right. Yeah, exactly. That's not my thing. And yeah. then you have people who have like maybe worked in a bank for a number of years, oh. teaching investments. It's like context and content. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You can say two different things. And it won't mm -hmm. be right for both people. It might be right for exactly. person A. It won't be right for person B. Why? 100%. Because of context. It's context yes. that matters. And there's yep. no way you can understand the context behind some of the stuff that you're reading yep. if you don't have the qualifications to be able to understand how that context fits a, a, a certain circumstance. And it, it frustrates me so much. But it's like, there are so many people, even on YouTube, it's one of the reasons why I started my YouTube channel. It's like, no, 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 no. There's so much contradiction, misinformation out here being given, you know, about investing, picking stocks by yep. people who are just literally, they, they, they're learning themselves or they're just an accountant. And it's like, exactly. you need to be careful, man. And I always try and stay clear of these are the stocks that I pick or these are my yep. top 10 stocks. Because it's like everybody screams about, say, for example, Tesla. Yep. When the stock price is going up, <clears throat> You should you should definitely buy Tesla. If you bought yeah. Tesla six years ago, you would have had a hundred and blah blah percent return. But they don't talk about when Tesla was suffering and the stock price yeah. was down. And exactly. It was hard, you know. And I, yeah, I just it frustrates me so much. I'm with you. I'm with you, man. And that's the other thing I tell people all the time is whether it's me, you, Dave Ramsey, Susie Orman, whoever. Do not. Our advice is not particular to you. If you want particular mm -hmm. personalized advice work with one of us mm -hmm. but if not we're just broadly speaking about the value of crypto or insurance mm -hmm. or annuities or mm -hmm. stocks it's not for you to then immediately go out and do exactly <laughs> so you yeah. know it's 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 very broad as you mentioned and i love you mentioned that because that's the one thing that i always say as well it's like this advice isn't for you we're just speaking it's not for you if you want advice for you you should work with someone and and have them be a, a personal advisor to you the other part of that is, and you and you mentioned this as well, is like what I cannot stand is these uh, shake and bake really quick how to buy a stock in five days and make right away that headline should yeah, let man. you know. And and what bothers me the most is, and again, I know it's the same thing there, is like our industry handcuffs us because there's things that we cannot say that they can't. So they can yeah, say yeah, whatever yeah. they want. Yes. So that, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, that, so, there's a, so we're handcuffed, right? There's certain things that we cannot say. And that's what I tell people. It's like, I've actually shown people videos. It's like, I could never say half of this to you. 
Mm-hmm. Because I would get sued. I would lose yeah. my license. I can't say that. It's implied so, advice. And that's the right. danger of it all. And that's the, right, exactly. So I was like, we could never, as licensed professionals, as planners, as advisors, as whatever, actually tell you that. And they can, and that's why we lose and, and say some of those things. And I, I, want, I want to say this. I say lose in sense of the public narrative, mm-hmm. right? Uh, because they can control it. And, you know, there's a, there's a big hubbub here now in, in the States with David Portnoy, the owner of Barstool. And, you know, he's done very well for himself. And I think he's, you know, he sold his business for $100 million, something like that. Very so nice. he's been going on, he's been going online every day trading right he has a thing dtg day trader global or something like that and he's screaming at the tv and he's doing all types this he's never traded stocks in his life and he's <laughs> captivated the, he's captivated the country's attention he's screaming at e-trade i'm up a million dollars and this that whatever and financial advisors here are super frustrated by it but i say you know what i say our moat was so low our bar was so low that he was able to come in say what he says, captivate people's attention, make it exciting. So what are we mad about? Yeah. We can't do that, right? Yeah. So if we can't control our own narrative, good for him. What is he, yeah. what, you know, he, he's been on CNBC. Yeah. He's been, there's articles about him because guess what? He's new, he's exciting. And oh, by the way, he can say the crap that we can't. Yeah, right? because he's not regulated. So, not regulated. Yeah. And it's funny, and, it's, and, and, and to that point, it's like, if you really... <laughs> If you really want to educate people on finance and, and do financial education, it's like you almost don't want to be in the business because once you're regulated, there's so many things that you just cannot say, yeah. which is crazy. Or you have to give these disclaimers. Everything that we say is not financial advice. If you think uh-huh. it is, you should go see your advice. Like, we have to have all these disclaimers and four yeah. pages of compliance. And <laughs> yeah. so it's, it's, it's just, it's wild, man, how, we are the only business that handcuffs our true professionals like that. Yeah. And then you make a, we actually make a market for these people on IG or YouTube or Twitter. Yeah. We make a market for them because they look and go, this is really boring. Mm-hmm. I learned nothing. <laughs> yeah. Let me try this. Right. Let me turn this on. <laughs> that looks easy. Right. Yeah. Oh, it's easy. So yeah, yeah man, it's, it's, yeah. it's frustrating. I get you. Trust me. Keep yeah, up I the mean, good fight. I'm doing it too because I can't stand when I see personal finance expert in somebody's bio. I'm like, well, what is that? Which <laughs> is that a is that a course that you took? Is, yeah, yeah. What makes someone a personal finance expert? But yeah, that's all other stuff. Yeah, man. I don't. Oh man, uh, it just I see something sometimes, and I'm just like, I wish I could say, it. I wish I could take that tact because unfortunately, because they're sensationalizing. People get yep. excited. Oh my 100%. god! hundred percent, hundred percent return in how long? Three months. Oh my god! I'm going to put my money into it. But they don't yep. understand the risk. They don't understand what what they need to do in order mm-hmm. to make sure that they're making the right decision. And this is my next question to you: Do you find that a lot of millennials, particularly, are more interested in doing it themselves than taking yes. advice? One hundred percent. So I actually had to change my business model because of that. Because they will, they will pay for advice. They will pay for specialization. They don't want to pay that asset management fee, that ongoing fee. Mm-hmm. They have no interest in it. They're like, yep. well, why are you getting paid when you're not working, right? You're just sitting here holding my investments and mm-hmm. you're taking 
75, you know, basis points or 1% or mm-hmm. what, like, why is that fair? So subscription model is big. Um, hourly is big. But yeah, they, they definitely want to pay for advice. This is what I tell people. It's like technology leads the relationship with my clients. They want a tech-driven experience and just know that in the back, whenever they reach me, they have an answer, right? Mm-hmm. Tyrone, what about this? What about this, right? Uh, I, I want to do a, a, a 529 for my child. I want to do, you know, I'm, I'm looking, I just got these stock options. What do I do? Or mm-hmm. I've had some type of liquidity event. Should I pay down my student loans? Whatever it is. They want advice, and this is why I say we're going to continue to see fee compression in our business, no mm-hmm. matter where you are. Yep. Fees are going to continue to be driven to zero based on technology. The value of advice is going to go up, up because if you have an area of expertise and specialization that no one else can speak to but you, now you're going to be able to charge for that mm-hmm. and your, your advice and your guidance around that particular topic. Uh, retirement planning, maybe it's financial planning, maybe it's crypto, maybe it's stock options, mm. right? Maybe it's, it's uh, you know, maybe it is some type of still investment management, trading type of thing, who knows? But if you don't have a, an area where people just come to you because you're the best in the game, it will be very hard for you to last in the business in the next 10 to 15 years, in my opinion. Cool, man. I agree. I completely agree with you because I think even in the UK, we're seeing investment management charges completely compressed completely yep. compressed to the point where you know these big investment houses are looking at thinking whoa what's going on because what they're used to is the baby boomers just being like yeah you can take one percent like nah those days are gone now like you're still those are older yeah those you're still on a proportion of them that are going to be like oh it's cool but for yep. the for the you, new people coming through they're like no like why am i going to give you that feel that sort yeah. of money that could be in my pocket so that's what they want to do yep. so i completely agree mm-hmm. with that yeah in in closing this off what do you think are the things that people should know when planning for the future that, that are amiss in your opinion? One, as I mentioned, you have to be very, very clear on your relationship with money, how you look at money, what you've been taught about money. There's a really good YouTube video that I watched at TED Talk about a woman talking about financial dependence right? Mm. And being dependent upon somebody else, either handling the finances or growing up and seeing only one person handle the finance. Really Mm -hmm. dig into your childhood. And and, and really, I try and get people to deconstruct that. The next thing is, is understanding exactly what your goals are. What is it that you want? I have every client write a number down. What do you want to be worth? Mm -hmm. And I make no secret. Mine is a hundred million. No idea Mm. where I got that money from, but I just feel like if I had a hundred million dollars, I'd be Mm -hmm. okay. My family would be okay, but I'd say circle that number, put it somewhere, just know what that is. That's really important. And and, and just having, you know, and then align your goals around that because just like every other goal in your life, you'll start to work to that. Yeah, sure. The last one, and probably the most important to me is know how much, I don't care who you are, much money, what you do, know how much money you need to live, your burn rate, Every single month, know that number to the dime. Why? Mm-hmm. Because you can knock somebody out right now, put them in a coma for 10 years, wake them up and ask them what their debts are. My rent is this, car note is this, <laughs> cell phone yeah. is this, but they can never tell you how much they spend. Mm-hmm. Why is that? We anchor ourselves to debt because that number is standard and the same every month. 
You should know how much you spend. What, and what I mean by that is spend to live. What is it that you need to live? What is that number? And the best way to do it, I tell people, draw, get a white piece of paper, draw a line down the middle. No spreadsheet, no app, white piece of paper, blank. Draw a line down the middle. Everything that comes in, less everything that goes out that you have to spend. Mm-hmm. No discretionary, everything that you have to spend. Hopefully, there's a number at the bottom left. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Circle that number, right? That's important. Because now that starts the next step of if there's discretionary income. Yeah. But look at what that number is that you need to live. That's where you start your budgeting. That's where you start your investment planning. That's where you start your goal setting. That's where you everything stems from that number. And if you cannot do that, you will always struggle. You'll have lifestyle creep. You'll mm-hmm. never make enough mm-hmm. because you're mm-hmm. just running through it. Yeah. Right? But if you always know, all right, I need this number to live. And yes, all right, fine. You bought a, You want to upgrade. You want to get a better car. You want to get a better house. You want to start wearing. Okay, adjust that number. Mm-hmm. Not in the spreadsheet. Not in the app. Manually. Mm-hmm. Because as I get you to write that, it's, it's sticking in your, your brain. Yeah. So yeah. Th- those, are, those are my three. Cool, man. I, I, the, I have a very similar philosophy in terms of what I, well, how I, tell people to do or ask people to do things especially when i do some coaching and stuff like that as well it's like mm-hmm. you need to know like if you don't yeah. know why not like you should know and i believe that you know for me it's kind of like you have three buckets your bu- your first bucket is what you absolutely need what you yep. need like that's your basics like you need to know that number you know you've got that number covered every single month then above that if you want to be you know you want to have a little bit of balance you want to enjoy life then you're gonna have a little another bucket which is going to be like your holidays stuff to Mm -hmm. do with the family but ultimately you need to have a third one which is your disposable that's where you're going to be looking at your investment plans from like that's where you put that money and it goes off to investments it goes to build Mm -hmm. for the future there's no point in having two buckets no you need to have three and if you only have yep. two buckets, then we're going to do some work to cut down your second bucket to give you a third 100%. one. 100%. Yep. Because ultimately, if you're trying to use money as a tool, you need to be intentional with it. Like, yep. That holiday you want to go on, sorry, it's got to go. You need to, you know, put some money aside, yep. invest that. 100%. You will, thank, you will thank yourself in the future. And that's mm-hmm. what it all boils down for, for for me. Yep, 100%. So true. There's always that tough conversation. Like, you, yeah. you're spending way too much money eating out. If you yeah. want the truth, I'm telling you, <laughs> yeah. right? Like you vacation way too much. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like you, you, and you don't have any savings. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. Right. So no, I agree with you. But again, that's the beautiful part of our job. It's the toughest part. But at the end of the day, there's nothing better as you know, getting that call. Be like, oh, you were right. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I do have this bucket now and my family is safe or whatever. That's the yeah. best part of what we do. Um, and, and really helping people and understanding the value of someone that is going to hold your hand in rough times and kind of put you in the headlock sometimes. Yeah. And be like, no, 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 yeah. here's what you need to do. Yeah. And at the end of the day, we're coaches, we're therapists, we're, we're psychologists, we're yeah. a bunch of different things. We hold the head advisor, but we're so many different things. But the one thing we're not is your friend, right? Yeah. Like we're not your yeah. friend. Our job is to help you help meet your financial goals and make sure you can take care of your family. Yeah, absolutely. So dude, tell people how they can find you. Absolutely. You can find me first at my uh, website, tyroneross.io. Um, everything is there. All of my talks, all of my podcasts, I'm going to put this one there. Um, you know, everything, all the articles that I write, everything, my bio is there. And then also I spend the majority 
um, of my time on Twitter for all of you Twitter freaks like myself at TR401 and on Instagram at Tyrun, T-Y-R-U-N 401. Perfect, man. Listen, this has been amazing. I'll I yeah. wish it could go on for more, for longer. I know. Um, I, I might know. have to get you back. I might have to actually have to get well, you back. I'm gonna ha- I'm gonna have you on mine, man. I'm yeah, gonna, man, we'll that would be a pleasure. We're gonna do video. We're gonna get you. I don't know. We'll yeah, fly man. you in or something. But we I'll tell you what, happen. man. I was I gonna come over your story. Yeah, cool, man. I was gonna come over to FinCon. Um, really? Yeah, I was gonna come because I was speaking to Emily, and he's like, "Dude, you should come over to FinCon." So I've I've been looking at that. Um, but I don't okay. know what the ticket situation or flight situation is right now. I've got to revisit a little bit. I think they were saying that they're going to turn it into like a virtual uh, kind of event yeah. in the end. I so, think so. Yeah. When yeah, things man. when things clear up though here, man, it'll probably be like closer to 2022 <laughs> or late 2021. But we yeah. definitely need to do it. I would I would love to I would love to have you on, man. And we can again when you see this setup, man, and we just we just sit and do it, and it you've seen it, it comes I've, out. Man, I've seen it. I looked yeah. at it and I was like, dude, I want to be able to replicate that. But I'm like, <laughs> I've got a long way to go before I can get to that point. But man, it was so slick. And I love yeah. the conversation that you had with Emlyn. You talked yeah. about the fact that uh you said something that really stood out to me, and I was like, damn, what did you say? You said something like, um, it's easy to get the numbers right but you often get he said he said that he said that it's um in our business we get the numbers right and the people wrong there we go that man that's the quote that's the quote of the year yeah he nailed it on that Mm. he nailed it on that yeah man absolutely i heard that and i was like actually dude fire (laughs) yeah yeah that is is the quote that is the quote of the other season man like he just wrapped the first season i'm like that was it he killed it with that but yeah we definitely gonna make that happen for sure Cool, man. So that one's called The Human Advisor, right? Yeah, The Human Advisor podcast on YouTube. Um, Altruist um, is the actual company. Um, and you can go and you type in Altruist on YouTube. It takes you to the page there. Um, and it's the humanadvisorpodcast.com. You can find it there as well. I would strongly recommend that anybody listen to this actually go and watch and listen. Trust me. It's great. Appreciate it. Really, really yeah, is. Appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming on, Tyrone. I really do appreciate Absolutely. it. If you've listened to this podcast, I hope you've enjoyed it. It has been a little bit of a different one. It's been great to speak to a fellow professional, actually. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we'll try and get Tyrone back. But guys, thank you so much for listening in. Um, as always, if you have any questions, you know where to find me on IG. Um, but, you know, this podcast is all about giving you conversations that you can learn from to empower your financial decisions. That's what this is all about at the end of the day. And it's about reaching out and touching as many people as possible. So if you've enjoyed this and you know someone else who might enjoy it, please do share. But until next Monday, have a great week.